Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business, navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have David Potter, who is the CEO and co-founder of Kuru, which enables lenders to fund more loans and individuals to improve their eligibility for getting a loan or a better credit card. In this episode, we go through why David started this company, how he acquired his first few thousand users for the app, how he fundraised for the company, including going through a number of different accelerators like Techstars, ultimately getting a few million dollars of investment to build the company even further, David's experience as a founder of Color, some of David's favorite books that have helped him in his journey, and really just where he's trying to take Kuru and the bigger vision and mission behind the company. That and much, much more on this episode with David. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can get all the links to things mentioned in this episode. And also, you can support the show with a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. I would very much so appreciate that. Without further ado, here is David Potter, the CEO and co-founder of Kuru. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Going well, going well, and definitely excited to have you on, talk about all, all about Kuru and your kind of journey uh, with the company. To start with, how did Kuru even even get started, David, in the first place? Yeah, so um, I guess that's just a quick two cents on Kuru to kind of yeah. bridge that path. Um, so Kuru right now is we're a solution or an integration for lenders and banks, um, helping them grow an acquisition by recovering their rejected and abandoned accounts. Um, in a little less formal language, um, <laughs> like Apple Card, or yeah, Apple and Apple Card, they announced a pass to Apple Card. So if you wouldn't have, say, the needed credit score to immediately get approved, is it gives you a pass, action steps you can take in order to very quickly say, you know, anywhere from immediately to within a few months, uh, get approved for that credit card. Or in our sense, we integrate that for our partners. So credit cards, loans, mortgages, um, you know, whatever that lending product might be, we help bridge that path to approval. Um, and you asked, how did it get started? And it started with a yeah. very personal problem that my co-founder and I faced. So Ab and I were freshman year roommates over at the University of Maryland. We were both studying on a full ride scholarship. So I was studying on a full ride from Bill Gates, and he was studying um, on a full ride as well and studying um, electrical engineering and computational finance um, while I was studying finance. And I guess ironically at the time, we were in a forced triple, which is like a dorm room that is you know, it's enough space for one person, but they somehow forced three of us in there. Um, so it was like mm. a triple bunk bed situation. It was completely ridiculous. Um, but we made, <laughs> and there's also no AC. Um, so it was really hot, oh, we, like really had to get out of there. And when we were applying for off-campus living, we ended up getting rejected. And this was maybe, I mean, it was a small and a large problem. I mean, you know, it was, you know, us running into our first pain with credit. And we were really between a rock and a hard place because we didn't have established credit scores. We didn't fully understand credit just yet. And in one sense, with our scholarships, they would have fully covered housing. Um, yet, because, you know, old underwriting policies, whatever the case was, you know, we were pretty much trapped. We couldn't have someone co-sign. And the next summer, as we're taking summer courses, we had to essentially couch surf or stay with friends um, to be closer uh, to the campus and take courses as we're working on learning more and building up our credit scores. Um, from there, really a passion began to build up. We learned, like, not many other people, students, parents, families, um, really thoroughly understood credit. And we started earning certifications in credit counseling, built up a private practice um, that grew to um, at least a few hundred. And that became a bit of a hassle juggling with school as well. So we're looking for ways yeah. to automate some of what we were doing. Um, but in that process, we were helping our clients. We learned like a few key insights. I guess the biggest one was that like that problem that we faced, we weren't alone. There were a lot of other people we were helping that were students, parents, um, immigrants, and whether it was getting you know that refinance on your home or your first house or that first car, um, we were finding you know a big need for people you know, to need access to credit, um, but that, that were usually crippled when it came to credit. Um, that was pretty interesting. Whether again underserved, thin file, not existing credit, you know, hurt credit, whatever the case was. Um, so eventually we began to automate some of the actions we were suggesting to our clients, like email and text. And after doing that, um, for about half of a year, we learned that users and you know, the users that were sending these emails and messages to were enjoying this even more than they enjoyed working with us personally, which was 
slightly offensive, <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, we, we leaned into it because it was more time efficient. Um, and that was kind of, you know, what we went initially with, you know, applying technology to it. And I think one of those insights was that people, you know, rather than having to open up, you know, as much as, you know, I may love you, Justin, as I may not want to open up fully about my personal finances. And that's just a very Absolutely. human thing. Um, so getting that in your inbox, knowing what you can do, the optimal amount to pay off for your bill or any alerts is, you know, a very, you know, intimate personal experience. We're able to deliver that for our initial system. Um, and I guess from there, just kind of fast tracking how that began to evolve. Um, we eventually, in May of 2018, we released the um, first app version of Kuru in the iOS app store. And uh, from that, we gained thousands of users uh, pretty quickly. And over the course of the, the next year, uh, we probably reached around 10 to 15,000 users and learned a new level of insights. And it was that our users weren't just taking actions to improve their credit score and maximize it to get a perfect 850, but it was almost always to get to a goal. Um, so to get that loan, that house, that credit card, and then at a similar time, as we're going through this nourishment insight, we're speaking to a lot of our bank and marketplace partners, learning that they rejected a majority of their applicants. Um, so at this point, we began to make a transition and bridge the, uh, the two gaps where we noticed that, you know, lenders don't like rejecting their applicants, but they reject the majority, typically 60 to 90%, and applicants don't like being rejected. Um, and bridging those, that's where we have our current solution of providing a path to approval um, for our partners and just kind of transition that as well. Again, it's no longer an app um, on the app store where, you know, fully partner with banks. But that's how it's also, you know, delivered to, you know, end consumers um, as right. well at scale. Um, so it's like an integration into the, the lender's experience. Um, if you imagine you were applying for like a Capital One Quicksilver card, um, I guess disclaimer, we're not partnering with Capital One right now. Um, but if you're applying <laughs> for that and your credit score would be too low, instead of just getting a no and a rejection email, is you're given an action plan and steps that you can take in order to be, you know, to get approved and be bankable with uh, Capital One. This is something that's obviously a, a crazy useful concept and drawn from your kind of own experience and the issues you had. And where I want to go back to first, though, you mentioned building this this first version of the product, gained to thousands of users. How are you acquiring these kind of these first users for the product early on? Yeah, great, great question. We did a lot of fun and hacky things early on. Oh, I love it. At scale, so it's kind of wrapping an umbrella. A lot of it was organic. So a lot of the hackiness came out of our lean nature. Um, we were young and growing at the market. Initially, we were targeting millennials, um, students, you know, really those that we understood had a similar um, problem or issue to, you know, what we initially understood for establishing credit, um, credit repair, reaching those initial financial goals. Um, but in terms of um, how we went about, you know, some of our actual like marketing initiatives beyond, you know, kind of the organic traffic that was building up with um, a bit of our presence was we, I guess one thing, and I'll kind of start with this because this was when, you know, someone was taking a tip to put in their pocket if you do have an app on the App Store. Um, app Store optimization gave us a pretty big ROI. Um, what that is, similar to like SEO on Google, um, that, you know, helps you rank higher, but you don't have to pay for Google ads. You know, if you're, right. I don't know, Facebook or whatever the case is, you're just going to show up at the top and that's free when someone searches Facebook or social media, um, if you're ranking high for social media. So we optimized your app to have good organic traffic. So I'd really recommend um, looking into that because there's a lot of ways like, just a, again, quick tip here, just to like open some people's eyes if you do have an app in the app store is um, depending on the region that you're in. So if you're going like say United States versus Europe or um, English versus Spanish, because it's language, but depending on the category that you're in, um, Apple actually lets you expand your keywords. And this works like beyond, it essentially lets you go from say five keywords, like 10 or 15 or other cases. So you definitely want to maximize that to so be able to be more competitive around that. So nonetheless, we did some good work on App Store optimization, which allowed us to get, um, I don't remember the exact figures, but it, you know, it scaled up from you know, 5, 10, 20 plus you know, users coming on the platform a day um, organically from the App Store. So that was like a, a good investment nice. in terms of an app. Um, and you know, we didn't have to pay for acquisition or compete in that sense. Um, on the other side, so a little bit of other fun, um, hacky things that we did to build up is um, in the early stages, we were working with student groups um, with immigrant groups, with um, housing complexes, even the ones that we got rejected for, um, auto dealerships, um, and essentially providing pamphlets that were helping, again, people get approved, improve their credit, whatever the case was, um, helping, you know, help fund students, whatever the case was, um, but we were helping 
Um, it was kind of an early proxy for what we're doing now, but what we're doing was, you know, a mix of consulting using the, the platform and looking for a level of, I don't know if I was saying scale. We were looking to avoid the, to avoid paying hundreds of dollars for per customer or per user on the app, which is what like credit karmas and, you know, big banks will do. For example, when you get that letter in the mail, it says, you know, here's a hundred dollars if you sign up for this credit card or whatever the case is, <laughs> right, you know, they're willing right. to pay a hundred dollars for you as a customer, which is completely fine. Um, but we didn't want to get into that market where, you know, we had to pay a hundred dollars per customer and we, you know, there wasn't too, I guess there could have been more to do organically, but we really saw the fit as we understood our users that that pain point was where they were rejected. So the earlier version was kind of pamphlets and banks, schools, credit unions that we were partnered with um, to help recover their audiences. And we're getting some early reception there which was an early catalyst for a transition as we were speaking with banks, hearing their problems, and again, it continued to evolve to where we are now. That's amazing. And one of the things looking at kind of your story and things you've gone through, you've gone through a number of accelerators. And I'm curious to see kind of your experience on different ones and why you chose that approach like early on, especially in like 2018, all the way through 2019, September. I'm curious about your experience with the accelerators. Yeah, so... Um... I, at least as a, as a first time founder, um, you know, getting into, into the game um, and, you know, it definitely being, you know, call it my nature, my calling, but either way, as you're navigating that and, you know, unless if you have a super established business support system um, or you're a multiple time founder, um, I do think that they're very enriching and there's a lot of different structures for um, accelerators or incubators. So assuming, you know, the audience is fairly familiar with, you know, those kind of program structures um, is accelerators. Um, especially, you know, some of those, you know, more, um, you know, well-known or established um, programs like, you know, Y Combinator or Techstars, um, which I was part of and, I'm, you know, super, um, a, a huge advocate for, I think, you know, we got a, a ton out of. Um, we also went through a few other programs. And one thing I would mention is, you know, many programs and accelerators have different structures. So some of them came in the form purely of the program investing into us. There wasn't really an equity component. Um, you know, any kind of mandatory fees, et cetera, was really them being like a strategic investor into our company. Um, and we still had the, you know, three month accelerator period. Um, but that's a lot different than, you know, some that you might see where they take a very particular equity stake. Um, either way, you know, scope out to what makes sense for your stage. Um, but the amount of, you know, mentorship resources, et cetera, is, can be incredibly enriching. And what I find is if you're kind of going to a, say a not as established, um, or maybe newer um, accelerator program. Um, usually those are best if they're niche. And there's a lot of great uh, niche ones where you know, they might help yeah. you execute on a sales channel in real estate or you know, whatever that case is. And that might be you know, perfect what you need. And you know, there's a reason why that's not the global accelerator you know, for whatever the case is because you know, they're, they're killing it in their niche. Um, so we've gone through a few different programs. Um, ultimately, in the end, I think this is where at least in the form of accelerators. So I'm sure there'll be later stage programs that we may end up getting involved with because again, always big on community and education. Um, but uh, Techstars just kind of catalyzing there. Um, in our experience with that, and I'm currently, so um, disclaimer here as well, I'm on like the Techstars chapters board. So I'm huge on um, just expanding the community and like, you know, the value that we're providing. Um, that's more of a personal thing. It's not even like a, I'm not even getting paid for none of this. So this is just like, you know, out of my passion. Um, but yeah, is Techstars really did a ton for Kuru. Um, we may have been raising our initial pre-seed round for about at least 12 months prior to the program. Um, that was fine. We're at an earlier stage. Um, but you know, a funding round could be three months, four months, whatever. Going through this, it took a very long time as we're establishing those connections. Um, as we're getting through Techstars and they have like mentor madness where you meet, you know, in person together with, um, a large selection of amazing mentors, advocates, community members, investors, et cetera. And as we're going through that, by the end of the program, we had closed out our pre-seed round of um, about 600,000. And then about six months later, so that was in September of, uh, of 2019, um, where you know, the Texter's demo day, um, we closed out our pre-seed round, we were able to announce that on the demo day stage. Um, and it was pretty like amazing because we also had like many investors like looking to even put more capital in, like Hannibal Burris showed up and was like looking to uh, be involved, which is amazing. <laughs> um, awesome. Like that completely random, but hey, that, you know, cool little side note there. But um, then from there, six months later, and again, we hugely credit the support and involvement um, and advocacy from um, Techstars and shout out to um, Ethan Austin, our program director, 
um, who's also amazing, is, you know, really helped connect us with, you know, amazing investors and people and um, best to go ventures who were connected with, you know, at least, you know, a year and a half prior, um, ended up deciding to lead um, our seed round. And then through connections, um, through Techstars, Harlem Capital, um, Matchstick Ventures, um, and another of us, actually Harlem may have also been from Bestigo. Um, but that being said, um, we recently closed our seed round of 3 million. And just if you look at that trajectory or momentum from over 12 months at, you know, initial pre-seed to, you know, within six months, you know, catalyzing much more. And, you know, I think we've executed tremendously in that time. But again, um, uh, not to overcredit Techstars because it is what you put in as founders, um, but Techstars yeah. holds up on its promise as a program. Um, and that's something going through many um, that, you know, go niche or, you know, go big um, is, is probably what I would recommend. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's such a value add to go through an accelerator, especially if you don't have that type of network already. And I just want to, I'm curious early on, you mentioned like the 12 months before Techstars and the, the struggles of raising funding at that time, when you had this idea, you had the traction back in 2018 with, with the app and you have thousands of people who are using it, that funding, what was your approach to fundraising like before Techstars, for instance? Yeah. You know, you were in this, um, maybe not a catch 22, but maybe close to a catch 22 where um, you don't have the relationships and it's very hard to get those relationships where, um, you know, even if you have a ton of industry experience, um, many of those relationships may not be exactly you need to speak to. Um, so you end up in a lot of investors, especially, you know, higher tier investors um, will almost only accept warm intros. You know, it should be gritty or nifty enough to be able to, you know, find that secondary connection and pave that path. Um, so that was fine. And we continue to navigate, um, you know, and kind of, you know, build out our community or investor network. Um, but the thing was, you know, investments are very relationship driven. You know, you want to invest in someone that yeah. you believe in, that you've known for a bit. Um, there's a thing in Techstars that they mention um, investors or people invest in lines, not dots. Um, so instead of just being like, hi, you know, we do this, you want to invest. Um, it is relationship <laughs> building. And, you know, those 12 months was a lot of relationship building. Um, the thing is, is what we noticed as well is at least we'll say internally is an important thing. You know, be, we have to be super genuine with the relationship building, you know, it can't be transactional. You'll have a lot more benefit developing these genuine relationships that, you know, last a lifetime. But one thing that we noticed as, as well was uh, depth, which is if someone is, you know, has a very established relationship. So just say, you know, kind of what you'll see in the you know, end of the story is, you know, if my friend invested, maybe I'll just tack on some capital or invest too, right? Because I really trust yeah. my friend's investments. So someone having depth with someone close to you allows to kind of catalyze or strengthen the line, right? It allows, okay, cool, we have a line, they believe in that. But if my friends or other people close to me believe in it, then they're that, it's amplified by that much. Um, and through tech stars, you know, and working very closely with our program director, and again, continuing to build up the general relationship, it really does snowball. Um, so that would just be a couple of the, the notes that I mentioned just towards our experience on the funding side. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Because especially if, if someone's an earlier stage founder and kind of thinking about that process of like, how am I going to go about fundraising? I like to share those insights at the early days. They'll see, they'll see David like, oh, he raised you know, a couple million dollars, but what about early on? David, mm -hmm. you know, and like, that's why I love to share, share those things. And obviously Techstars was so incredibly helpful for you. What, what I'm curious of, and not to just harp too much on accelerators, but I've interviewed people who have gone through Y Combinator, I've interviewed people who have gone through Techstars. Uh, I'm curious for you during that Techstars period, I know it's, it's kind of an intensive period. Like how much traction did you get during that? Like what type of uh, things were you doing to grow during that, you know, that few months of going through the Techstars accelerator? Yeah. So we had an interesting setup. So we were kind of, uh, kind of in two programs that were slightly overlapping. Um, so one was a program with FIS, which FIS is a, well, the world's biggest technology provider for um, banks and a uh, service, thousands and thousands of banks. And yeah. um, FIS invested into us when their programs we were in Arkansas for three months. Slightly overlapping with that was the kickoff of the Techstars program. Um, so we were kind of in, in both, which allowed for tremendous growth. <laughs> and we had to really manage the team and our capacity, because I was like, to demo Jeez. day, I mean, that was an intensive, I mean, they overlapped, that was an intensive, I think, five months. Um, so that was really, uh, that, you know, we, we were up for the challenge, though, because honestly, a little bit of back to that as well, is, you know, going through, you know, taking months and months and months to raise capital. I mean, you know, we were pretty lean, but, you know, it's kind of the situation where, you know, you only have but so much runaway, and it's not infinite, or you're not profitable at that stage yet. Um, so, you know, you either have, to, you know, or looking towards capital or making more revenue, or whatever the case is. And um, on the same day, we heard back from Techstars and FIS 
on the program notification. So we kind of, you know, notified um, the teams, et cetera, and were able to um, manage it at the time appropriately. You know, there wasn't too much overlap. Um, but one thing we had to consider, we spoke with our advisors in the programs was, you know, they, they needed us to be fully committed and available for each of the programs. And if we couldn't do that, then we yeah. couldn't accept folks. And that completely made sense. Um, we decided to go through with that and, you know, we're up to the challenge. Now, that being said, over this, you know, stretch of you know, three to five months, I think one program would be three, maybe it was four and a half months or so. Um, but over this five-month stretch, um, we, we grew a lot. That's where we, we solidified our pivot through FIS. And through Techstars Network, we connected with over um, 100 banks in three months. And I guess more than selling, we were listening, um, listening to the problems that they were facing. So again, I'll highlight, again, that majority of people are rejected. Um, And listening to the potential value, if it was applicable for a solution to be applied to banks, that was something that was interesting to them, if it was a priority. So we went to our foundation and we're really listening. Um, And from there, we really understood what banks were looking at at this time, what credit unions were looking at at this time, what was important, and not just if our solution um, could apply towards them, um, but that it did. Um, and, you know, we made certain pivots on the product side, et cetera, but kind of through that, that time, that program was transitioning from a consumer platform um, and validating our B2B approach. So through that time, we landed, you know, one full um, pilot um, by around the demo day. Um, and around January, you know, in a couple months after, you know, we continued tacking on another couple. And um, from there, and kind of, you know, grab that momentum, you know, we, I mentioned, you know, getting about 10,000 or so users um, in a year. Um, a typical lender or bank can reject 10,000 in a month, 10,000 in a week. Um, some lenders <laughs> reject, you know, literally reject 500,000 in a month. Um, and that's, you know, sure. those are very, you know, in range numbers. So kind of in this transition, um, as we're validating that, um we you know one partner two partner three partners that scales pretty heavily um so uh with that momentum we learned that you know to fully integrate and have scale especially with our bank partners is uh there's compliance needs heavier security needs and we need to be two three four five steps ahead especially on security um so as we're you know establishing or scaling out and had you know our er, you know the early and heavy market validation um you know through covid is where we you know pursued around to look at scaling this the solution more at the masses and mentioning the the apple card uh piece at the beginning or past the apple card i was looking at a youtube video from credit shifu um just the other day and um the first or the most upvoted comment was like you know this is amazing i imagine every major lender or every major bank um to start doing something like this and it's super awesome just being you know kind of in the driver's seat or in the trenches of enabling banks to be able to give people a, a path to approval because again it stops that experience that me or my co-founder ran into that, you know, ki- kind of made no sense or shouldn't have been the case, right? Uh, providing to that path to who I think makes a lot more sense. So eventually went full circle and now we're kind of solving, well, we're solving, you know, the same problem we face. Um, and uh, Techstars and FIS and, you know, the accelerators in you know, our journey, our community has enabled us to, um, to to continue to enable that to become more of a reality. So um, by the end of demo day, you know, we had some of our initial partners and models solidified. Yeah, and looking at going through you know, TechStars and then and then getting that funding, you know, even even later, getting a couple million dollars in, in funding as well. Through that process, then you and Ab, how have you guys approached growing your team as you have more around security to do, more to grow the company? How have you approached building your team for Kuru? Yeah, so I guess the way we define, or in my view of like hiring, is you know we want to hire towards our competencies. You know where there's that largest. Um, not to be like too financial in the sense, not largest return on investment, where, where the company gets the most out of, right? So whether that's in design yeah. and in artificial intelligence and finance and algorithms, you know, whatever that case is, but you know, that's helping our users improve their credit score the most or helping the most people get approved or whatever the case is. Um, and over time, we've been very in tune with what these key competencies are. Um, and I'd mention you know, at our current stage, I would put it in two verticals. One is product and tech, and the other is sales. So as we're growing out and over the next couple of years, we'll likely double right now. We're about a team of 10. Um, we'll likely grow to 16 to 20 over the next couple of years. And if, you know, things go even better than that, then we'll, we'll be growing, you know, even more. But um, in the areas that we'll be hiring, um, one will be on the tech side, um, backend data engineers. And um, that will be, you know, a lot of our systems are backend heavy. And I mean, simply put, I mean, that is our system just, you know, at a very high level. 
And on the other side, for the sales side, you know, as now we have our solution and connecting with more partners gives us a lot more value at scale as well, because, you know, as we're helping optimize the credit scores for 10,000 users for this partner, um, all that data towards our system allows our algorithms to be more po uh, powerful for the actions recommended to 10,000 other people. Um, so as this right. continues to, to scale up in the masses, um, a lot of value in continuing to service partners and maintain that scaling. So then, you know, different, you know, account representatives, customer support, you know, things like that to make sure we're maintaining quality at scale. Um, so right now we have the capacity to do that. So there'll be, you know, a few core hires, primarily on the development side, as we continue gaining um, sales accounts, we'll, you know, continue to um, scale that out as well. Um, so those would be kind of the, the two main areas. I see it's hiring. And just one thing to mention as well, uh, that's kind of exciting, yeah. uh, is culture, uh, which we've always been pretty intentional about our culture. And just kind of my quick two cents on it is, you know, there's also like, you know, some pages we have up of, you know, either team members, et cetera, you know, kind of mentioning their experience. That would probably do it more just in like me um, verbalizing our, our own culture, because I think it really is lived. Um, but personally, I am a, a very large, one of my largest personal values is creating powerful spaces, powerful environments. Um, so whether that's the environment of your mind and like internal so that, you know, you have, you know, healthy mind and thoughts, whether that's your home or your bedroom, whether that's your dorm room, your, your house, the gym you go to, um, the world, whatever the case is, um, but creating powerful environments. So very, very intimately, you know, our workspace, the office, your desk, whatever the case is, is, you know, absolutely making it an empowering office space that you're excited to come to work to. Um, that comes, you know, almost as a double-edged sword in a sense, um, where of course, you know, a high level of responsibility and accountability, um, but you know, enough freedom or creative control to properly execute, especially in leadership positions. Um, so, you know, continue to drive to make this, you know, the, the best place to work, you know, not the next Google, but the first guru. Um, so, you know, I've been having a ton of good energy. It's been amazing, you know, continuing to work with, you know, all stars on the team, and continue looking forward to, you know, at this stage, who those next echelon of uh, all-stars that will be joining the team will be. Yeah, and it's obviously such a huge, important part of, of the company, the culture of the company. And and with that, with our current times, you know, recording this in, in August of 2020 with COVID, how has COVID affected your business, both from like a people standpoint, and then just as like a business model and how you're running your company? Yeah, so COVID uh, definitely affected the financial markets in terms of credit eligibility for a lot of uh, products, the floors went up. So, you know, might need a 680 credit score for one credit card or loan. And for that same credit card or loan amount, you might now need a 720 credit score. Um, and that jump is pretty hard to, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and jump 40 points and be instantly approved for it again. Um, so some things that, again, might have needed a 720 credit score now need a 750 or 760. Um, so it's making right. a lot more of these goals a little bit out of reach or stagnated. Now, that being said, a lot of the government benefits or subsidies, unemployment, uh, stimulus, um, those are helping a lot of the consumers. So we haven't been seeing a heavy default, which is really good. Um, some people can argue that that's like artificial once these stop, like that won't be the case. Um, just a couple of days ago, um, um, it was announced that um, a number of like student loan refi, well, a number of, you know, unemployment, et cetera, being, you know, extended or authorized and that um, student loan refinancing uh, with the freeze would continue until the top of next year, where it was supposed to end, I think, at the end of this month. So again, good for the consumers where, you know, you don't need to pay uh, student loan payments um, or interest payments um, until then. Really good for the consumer. Um, on the side for just what we're seeing with partners is this just continuing to have some volatility. And I think most partners um, are able to, you know, fare it out because some it's making volume go higher or lower. So it's just adding volatility, um, you know, making it more dynamic in a sense. Some partners are more conservative as they're adjusting their strategies. Some partners, you know, are really looking to, you know, help make sure the members are resilient in a time like this. So it's changed the market. It's evolved the market a bit. But I think as things disrupt, this really makes, you know, it opportune to establish strong relationships and partnerships with, uh, you know, companies pursuing or prioritizing, you know, opportunities to improve the bankability of their members, grow an acquisition, whatever that case may be. So um, it changed it. It, it hasn't made it easier. Um, but, you know, we're continuing <laughs> to be agile and listen. So especially over this past, you know, month and quarter, um, a lot of listening because, you know, it would be insensitive or, you know, we, we would not succeed if, you know, we were rigidly saying our solution, you know, still or only helps banks grow an acquisition because maybe they're not looking to grow an acquisition right now. As a matter of fact, many banks aren't. They're looking at helping their existing customers be healthy. And that's the right thing to do, right? 
Um, but in that case, like, yeah. we can also help that for existing members, helping them make payments, have more financial wellness, et cetera. Um, so listening is really important. So it's shaking the market, um, but our solution very much still resonates. Yeah, absolutely. And and looking back here in the last few years here with David, with, with Kuru, what have been the biggest challenges of, of growing this business? Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking at my hands right now and I bite my nails a ton. Uh, that's a stress <laughs> habit. So <laughs> um, that, that, that's probably, um, that's probably, I'm like trying to summarize it, but I'll start it with that and saying like, that's the one is like, you know, every day is different. Um, it's fun. There's always a problem. There's, you know, big problems, you know, you kind of get more, you know, resilient to them. So, you know, you're able to take on bigger problems or bigger problems aren't, you know, as stressful or more manageable. Um, so it's, I mean, I think the whole thing is a challenge. I can go at very particular incidents that have been challenging. Um, but I will, I will microcosm it to my fingernails. Um, I was biting my nails a lot yesterday, which is why I say that. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, again, I think that's a, a reflection of I'm probably stressed on a daily basis, not in a bad way. And that's probably the, I don't know if I would properly say the only bad habit I have. Um, but like, you know, humbly, that is one of few bad habits I would say I have. And like the, not, not the worst thing to just be biting your nails. But again, in this particular sense is like on a daily basis, uh, I am intentionally engaging with things that give me a level of stress and I'll perform better in stress. I'm doing important things. I'll probably correlate with that every day. I'm doing a very important work. So it matters that I'm delivering it properly. It matters that I'm presenting performance it matters that I'm giving it my genuine energy and that's fun to do um, but it's also a great challenge um, so whether again it's in fundraising and pitching and and building out the product and leading the team and growing a team um, and making financial decisions you know all that's a pleasure um, but the fact that all that is so important and in a sense my life's work um, and fully represents you know me and my team and all of what we're working for um, that you know has really anything I do have a a quality level you know, eight to 10 and a stress level eight to 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I do think it's important for people to understand like what it, what is actually like to build a company. And, and a lot of times entrepreneurship can be glorified into, uh, you know, we just see the exits or we see the raises, but there's a lot behind that. And a lot of companies that don't make it. Uh, so I think it is important for people to understand that. And there's a lot of good that comes out of it and can be enjoyable as well, but there certainly are bad days. Uh, I was just referencing this yesterday on Twitter. I was like, I spent four more, more than four hours dealing with like an email issue. Uh, and it's like, that is one of the things that can happen in a day uh, where you mm -hmm. think you're going to do all this other stuff and you end up spending yeah, four plus hours and something like that. But that's just the realities of it. What I'd be curious of too, is like being a person of color and in the startup world, which is very much so not the most diverse place. Have you noticed, how have you handled that? I guess is what I would ask. Yeah. Um, or what has your experience been like even or yeah, anything? Yeah. So, I mean, especially in fintech and banking, um, there aren't many people of color. So it's not the exception to have been the only, you know, minority or, you know, whatever the case is, person of color um, in many of these rooms, meeting pitches, whatever the case is. Um, so as an industry case, you know, there's no, no exception um, that, you know, that the minority is a minority. I think in VC, um, less than 1% of investments go to, you know, minorities or people of color. Um, there, you know, I think in terms of industry, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but at least in terms of, um, you know, the number of meetings, conversations I'm with, it is definitely a minority of, you know, people that are diverse, people of color, um, and, you know, especially, you know, women, females, you know, non-males, whatever the case is as well. Um, yeah. So I think, that it is a a challenge um in many ways it's challenging the founder i think it's a challenge in kind of the the industry and as a culture um in many ways i think you know part of um, i think our way of of viewing a lot of what's um happening such a lot of like the, the protests everything going on lately is you know right now we're hiring and you know part of the uh, question or intention that comes with you know um who or how do you want to hire you know a question coming you know is it right to intentionally higher with diversity in mind um, or how do you express that and kind of through going through those thought experiments and conversations um, and understanding how again kind of the the funding example where you know we had challenges funding and not pointing it purely or not pointing it to you know a purely race issue um, but by the numbers you know what I mean there are many deals that you know I know me and the team came with our a game and it was one of the best deals on the table for that team but you know it happened to you know slip multiple times you know what i mean and like 
that's fine. You know, I can't control it. That's you know completely what the case is. Right. Um, but by the numbers, um, you know, there's definitely underfunding on the side of the investors and not, you know, a lack of opportunities on the side of the founders, right? There are opportunities available per se. Now that being said, um, how we look at combating that, how we kind of, you know, reflect that on ourselves, um, and being, you know, at least in our state right now in a in a hiring uh, position to grow that culture is, you know, in the same sense of like the, the laws in America, whatever the case is, is when you know, when decisions are made, it's most likely to benefit those that are at the table because they have the awareness of their considerations. So that it's in spite of any other groups, but that it's just likely to be most in benefit for those that are at the table with their awarenesses. Right. And um, for an example, like in our team, is we have a very diverse team. Um, I am black and Hispanic. My co-founder is Indian. Our CTO is Cuban. Um, our chief product officer is Asian. Um, like there, there's diversity throughout our entire team. Um, very naturally, it wasn't intentional throughout the initial stages. It was just that our team naturally empathized with the problem. Um, credit naturally cripples many underserved demographics um, versus, you know, if your parents able to co-sign or, you know, you have a bank account or financial literacy or whatever the case is, um, you can get started properly. If you're underbanked or an immigrant or aren't financially literate, whatever the case is, or your parent can't co-sign, guess what? You're trapped. So there weren't many considerations for these other groups. Um, very similarly right now as we're hiring and we do have the awareness that we may be diverse in some senses, um, but we don't have any females on the team currently. You know, we have had in different positions, like in terms of internships and stuff, but currently we don't. And in having that additional perspective, I think that additionally is value add. Now, I'm not saying we are solely hiring a female, but the intentionality, and again, enough to, to vocalize and knowing the impact or change that that makes for those that have decided to invest into Kuru or, you know, go against the grain versus being unaware of it and letting, you know, these amazing opportunities not be seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just as talented of a, you know, non-male or whatever the case is, but you, if you're only bringing in within your pipeline, you know, whoever's applying, whatever, there will be potentially less females that may find that opportunity, wherever the case is. So when it comes to the interviews and hiring choices, by the time you get to those final four, I think that the statistic is if there are three males and one female and you're hiring one person, I believe it's near 0% chance that a female is hired. So like the way to improve that is by improving your pipeline so they're more fully qualified candidates of whichever case. Yeah. So you can get the top, you know, whichever that sense is. So we're, we're being pretty intentional with that. And I, you know, would very much encourage anyone who's in a position to be aware and make a change. And I imagine everyone is, is to be involved with that because it comes through, again, the DNA of, of your culture. Um, again, kind of circling it back to uh, mention culture initially. So um, I've seen some investors make some commitments towards, um, you know, improving their investments towards um, people of color and diverse founders from like um, current investor into us, um, Matchstick. I think historically or currently they have 8% of their portfolio invest into uh, minorities or black founders, um, which sounds low, but it's eight times the national average. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, they're, and, and, and they're committed to getting that number to 30% over the next few years. But again, it's not just investing into, you know, random, you know, minority company, again, none of that single, but it's actually, again, being intentional now with commitment of looking and being aware of more of those companies. Otherwise they will go miss. And they'll, you know, I know so many amazing founders, whatever, that there's just the lack of funding or support or it's a struggle and a challenge and kind of going to challenges, 12 months of funding, whatever the case was, or for many companies, the reality is very much longer, no funding at all. You know, you can't get to that stage. That'd be really important. Pre-seed funding for many minorities isn't available. You don't have the family, friend with the disposable income or cash to put in 10K, 20K, 50K, 100K. Um, and that's the reality. So even the access to pre-seed funding to get to the seed stage is barely available. Um, time back to accelerators. Um, a lot of them typically do provide funding as well. 20K, 40K programs like Techstars or Y Combinator provide somewhere from like 120 to 140K. And that capital can be game changed to get to your product or solution validated enough to then get that next you know, level of validation, support, traction, revenue, um, that gets you into the, fully into the market. Um, but even access to that is again, less than 1% for minorities. So it's almost unaccessible. Again, it's possible, um, but change needs to be made. And again, I'll kind of continue to voice, you know, make our change internally. Yeah, change needs to be made. And some 
companies are, are, are making changes and venture firms are making changes. So you're, you're starting to see some of that, especially in the last few months. Obviously, there's a long ways to go, but these people are, are beginning to take those steps. But yeah, it's a challenge. And it's even more so a challenge for a person of color or a diverse founder. Uh, that's also why I like to feature a lot of them on the show to kind of share their experiences to show that it's possible. Um, and never forget mm -hmm. that as well. So people who are considering mm -hmm. it, you know, don't let that stop you just because you are a, a person of color or you're a woman or whatever it may be that uh, doesn't typically get the venture funding. There are people out there. I know like Charles uh, Hudson from Precursor Ventures, uh, iFund Women, I had them on the show as well. Like there are different options to, to consider. And that's, again, like why I love to mm -hmm. share those stories. Uh, and David, what is kind of the vision for Kuru moving forward? Yeah. So our mission is to eliminate credit rejection or provide a path to approval for everyone. So if I'm drawing a, a tangent or comparison here, um, in like the U.S jail system let's just say yeah. if someone breaks a law you go to jail you come out you have something on your record you may have a hard time getting a job because you know just the system or society looks at you like you're a criminal you're a criminal you know whatever the case and the associations that belong with that are um so it more so cripples you let alone that typically the cycle is a majority of people that you know are incarcerated end up going back to jail because it doesn't set you up to actually be rehabilitated it is oh you did something wrong, you were shunned from society, figure it out, barely even figure it out. You're shunned from society and kind of stay there. And that's very much what it is in finances. You apply for a car, you apply for a loan, you apply for a mortgage, and the person tells you, oh, sorry, your credit score is too low. Um, you know, maybe you can do some things, um, come back in six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, that's just, you know, that, that dead end, it's not very helpful. And our mission is to, instead of, you know, shunning people, oh, you know, oh, you're getting your finances low, oh, you're broke, you can't afford this. Again, that's kind of what the stigma is. Oh, your credit score is low, you're, you're a deadbeat. And I've literally had investors um, mention, you know, why are you helping deadbeats, um, which is completely ridiculous or insensitive to actually the problem of right. they are underserved and the system cripples them. Um, so it's providing a path to approval for everyone. I don't agree with the fact that it's a dead end and that's it. Um, I think that this is very much mutual or a step forward for society or the credit system. I don't think there's a reason that the standard right now is a rejection email, um, I believe the standard should be replaced with a path to approval rather than companies being required to and lenders being required to provide a rejection email letting people know, sorry, you were rejected and it was because your credit score um, is instead replacing that with this path to approval and steps for people to get approved. So backwards division would be, um, you know, we're limiting credit rejection on um, a future where, you know, the standard banks, lenders are all enabled with the solution. And as an end user, it's no longer, you know, I'm applying or, oh, I didn't get rejected. You're able to get approved for everything. There might just be some steps in between. Yeah. Um, one, one analogy that I gave um, before that might be a little bit astray from this current description, um, but was that getting a car, um, getting a lending product would be as simple as getting a pack of peanut M&Ms from the vending machine. So you know, you know how much money you have, what your capacity is and you get what you can get you know it's pretty straightforward it's simple um so you know making credit making finance and making lending a lot more linear helpful enabling because right now it's very crippling especially for um you know underserved communities yeah and i think it's something where it, it, obviously you see the need and it's exciting to see where you're going with this and how that's going to really impact people's lives and that's something i'm always excited to to chat about and and one thing uh i'm always a huge proponent of is reading and, and learning i'm curious as to any any books in particular that have been kind of helpful or you that you've enjoyed on your entrepreneurial journey so far yeah so i'm big reader as well um lately um in just like the most recent few months i haven't been reading too much um so the current book that i am that's on my desk and I'm uh, getting through right now is um, the Challenger Sales. Um, I haven't gotten through it enough yet, but it was highly recommended to me from one of my mentors. Um, so I'm, I'm getting through that book and going through that, which uh, so far is enjoyable. Um, but a few other books that I have gone through, um, I either come back to time and time again or have provided tremendous value. Um, so one thing by Gary Keller, um, just a couple of two cents on that, where it's about, I'm very focus oriented naturally. And the one thing mentions I believe it opens up with something along the lines of what do Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, um, I don't know, Mike Tyson, I just said a bunch of mics, but what do they all have in common? <laughs> what do they all have in common? And Mozart, I think, was the other one. Um, what do they all, they're all M's now, I don't know. What, what do they all have in common? Um, and it mentions that, you know, they didn't, you know, Michael Jackson didn't, I don't know, didn't play basketball and dance. I guess you can say dance and song, but I'm just going to call that one thing. Um, yeah. He didn't play basketball and do the art. 
Um, he did the arts and, you know, was a pop star. Um, and it mentions that, you know, kind of the value of focus or intentionality of, you know, being consistent on, on one thing. I mean, it also brings it down to like the microcosm of a single day and, you know, doing the most important one thing that day versus a to-do list. You know, I mean, if you do one most important thing every day in the course of a year, you're going to be a lot further than having done half your to-do list and not have done the most important thing. Um, so that was a very valuable book. And then if I, I can kind of streamline a ton of other books that I think have been very valuable without giving them the full, um, you know, 360 little intro, yeah. intro page. Go but um, The Alchemist um, is a great book. Um, uh, the Effective Executive by Peter Drucker um, was excellent. The Four Agreements um, is an amazing book. Um, I will pause on those. I could probably <laughs> mention, mention sure a few others. Like my, 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 yeah, no, my, my thing with each book is like for, I always love adding just like the descriptions, like highlighting my thoughts towards each one. So I can definitely jump into, um, again, kind of a, a deep conversation um, towards a lot. Cause again, I think there's just a wealth, um, in each of the books that I've mentioned that really, you know, I apply those principles towards, you know, many of those principles towards my day-to-day -day life and, you know, we definitely attribute, um, a, a lot of my thoughts and how I govern my life or, you know, my, my world views, um, some of them and, um, one, just kind of one more narration. So, um, there's this one book called the mastery of love and it gives this worldview that, um, I've begun to adopt as my own, which it, it mentions that imagine if you're looking at another planet and these aliens, uh, these, these other people, aliens, I guess would be the proper term, these aliens, um, <laughs> are all wounded. Um, they don't really have skin. Um, it's all open wounds and blisters and you see them interacting with each other. Um, one walks up to the other, he pokes him, the other one's hurt. And, um, because she's hurt or wounded, he pokes the other person, the other person's hurt or wounded and, you know, they kind of get into a tussle or they're just hurting each other. Um, that's pretty whack. Why don't you guys not touch each other's open source? Um, but what it's kind of drawing at this analogy, I'll kind of pull it back to a more familiar frame is, you know, that's what it really like is like on earth. Um, someone will you know, see or say something hurtful to someone else, the other person's hurt, so they hurt the other person back. And what this is, is more so an extension of self. If I'm hurt, I am going to hurt you. Um, but if I, now imagine one of these aliens had fully covered skin and they got poked, but they weren't hurt. I don't need to poke or hurt you back. I'm not hurt. So now in a more human example, if someone's walking down the street and says, hey, you ugly, like <laughs> that, that, has, that has nothing to do with me. Right. Um, you, that person's probably ugly or hurt or going through something on the inside. And that's fine, but kind of an understanding that, that then creates a level of liberty, freedom, understanding of, you know, in your sense, you know, you then, you know, control yourself, be healthy, happy, you know, manage that mental health. But in the same sense, you know, a lot of what other people are saying or expressing is an extension of self and how they feel, what their life experiences, their view, um, if they're happy or, you know, humble or hurt or whatever the case is. So a lot of the time, you know, especially people are, you know, sending negative energy or, you know, I'm not, I don't have too much of an ear for like doubters, whatever the case is, but like yeah. if someone does say, Hey, there's no way you can do that. Like that's more so there's no way they can do that. You don't know what, like no one knows what I can do. I know what I can do. Um, so that has nothing to do with me. It doesn't even have to pass judgment or a sense of thought because that that's your expression of self. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe you don't believe I can do that. You don't believe you can do that. But that has nothing to do with me. Well, that's all based um, on their lens, right? Their lens of the world. Right, and right. what they, that's reflecting on them, not you, uh, to your exact point of that. And mm -hmm. it's interesting to kind of think of it from that, from that perspective. And I think we can learn a lot from, from books and uh, other people and other experiences. But like, I love what you're mentioning here with this. And uh, I, I definitely also want to be respectful of your time. And so one of the last things that I'm always kind of wondering for people, and I have to ask before you have to go is, how do you kind of recharge and, and, and step away from work? Yeah, um... I found a few really good habits. So originally, it's heavily been exercise and meditation. Um, I exercise practically every day, six or seven days a week. Um, I will typically, I will almost always get my eight hours of sleep. I like to get seven, eight hours of sleep. And um, meditation is very helpful too and really helpful. Um, we don't have enough time to get in a full workout or sleep. So meditation, I mean, also as a consistent habit, but, you know, you can fit meditation in, you know, before a call for five, 10 minutes, if you're really stressed, you know, count your breaths. Um, they're going to be much more intimate and longer forms of meditation and practices that I'll do as well. Um, but aside from exercise and meditation, um, recently I've also gotten into painting, um, which that's also just been really fun and enjoyable. 
Um, I never knew I was really artsy, but with the quarantine, you'll you know learn some new things. <laughs> learn so, a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's been pretty cool. But now at this point, I think I have a a fair collection of you know just things I, I enjoy to do that can you know switch up the pace from um, it being you know fully hard focused educational you know professional work from something that's still stimulating but um stimulating and productive but again enjoyable relaxing so uh that's enjoyable i like again getting through a hard work day but again you still kind of have some energy so then just going to the gym but it's again a different you're letting you're letting yourself go in like a different form um so each of those i found to be awesome and then um you know a i've learned that taking time off um for like mental health is pretty important <laughs> go um, figure get pretty intense yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, i've ran into burnout which never had anticipated that, but that's what will run you into burnout. Um, and um, just in retrospect of, you know, a lot of my journey is like, you know, you're running pretty intensive sprints and a lot of, you know, what you do, especially, you know, as a founder is performance-based. Um, like I said, a lot of the work, you know, all of the work is meaningful. Um, so in that case, you know, like a sprinter or, you know, Usain Bolt, whatever the case is, you know, he's not running a marathon. And if you even run a marathon, you're not doubling up and running too. I mean, maybe I guess there's some person or whatever the case is. But again, that's how you that's how you get into burnout. Run a solid sprint, get your best time, achieve that goal, take a little break, run that next sprint. So like, in like a quarterly basis, you know, whatever the case is, but you know, in the past, it was just sprinting and never stopping. You know, what I mean, there was no acknowledgement for, you know, hey, you just ran it, you ran the sprint successfully, breathe, recover, sprint and perform. You know what I mean? At a certain point, yeah. your performance begins to stagnate, it's not going to grow as optimally. So I used to be all about these little hacks and things you can do to optimize time and performance. I kind of eased on that and realized balance is also a, is a way to overperform. Um, you can't, and it comes back to exercising, being in good health, meditating. That's all part of the balance. But like, you know, the, the day of a pitch or presentation um, or 30 minutes before, you kind of can't overpractice. You kind of know what you know. You could have practiced days before. Now meditate, come in calm and do your thing. But, you know, definitely being balanced. Um, definitely, um, some investing is another way that I've learned to, uh, to take it easy or had to, uh, teach myself. Yeah. And it's, it's great to hear that. Cause it is, it is important, but obviously many founders like, Oh, I can't, I can't, I'm too, you know, focus on whatever, but it, it is so important and it does help you in the end. And, you know, you might think, Oh, I'll just sprint for like seven years while I bet the startup, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't really think that's gonna, that's gonna work. And you've, I've heard it repeatedly from founders. Like they have to find a way to, to step off the gas for a second. And it always kind of helps them out um, in the end. And David, where mm-hmm. can people go to learn more about uh, you and Kuru and all you're doing? Yeah, so if you'd be interested in connecting, we'd love to. Um, so my LinkedIn is, um, maybe it'll be tagged in this post, but it's David yeah. Potter. Um, our website is www.kurucredit.com. Kuru is C-U-R-U, credit.com. Um, if you happen to be a bank, you can go ahead and request a demo on that side. Um, and we just would love to get connected. So everyone can shoot me a personal email as well. That's david at kurucredit.com. Um, and just overall, look forward to connecting with you guys, whether that's on LinkedIn, through email, um, or a little bit more of like some like partnership synergies. Um, would absolutely love to uh, get connected and start a conversation. Awesome. David, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. A million percent, Justin. Hope you have a great day. And this was just a pleasure. Yes. I think all the questions were great, enjoyable. Time flew by. So um, <laughs> I, I hope everyone enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed it, man. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.